Good morning, guys. It's great to be with you. Good morning. Have I lost the plot already? <laughs> it's so bright up here. Uh, good evening, guys. Um, let me add my welcome to that of David's. It's, I'm really pleased to have you join us here at church tonight, and I hope that you're feeling comfortable. hope that you've got your Bibles open. I hope that you're ready to set aside a little bit of time now to read, the, read God's Word with me. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you might grant to us physically uh, what we need tonight. We pray that you might help us to listen to your word uh, as it's read and as we look at it together. We pray that we might learn from it. And we, so we ask, Father, that you might give us good health and a clear mind, focus. We also pray, too, that you might be at work amongst us spiritually, that you might be gracious enough to give us what we need to see you, to see your glory, to understand more of the salvation that you have in store for us and reveal to us in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The fourth part of our mission statement is that we will promote the Bible as God's good and sufficient word. And as Steve was up here before, Uh, speaking about LIT and as we heard the testimonies of how good LIT has been, I thought to myself, what a great example of how to promote the Bible as God's good and sufficient word to young people. I'm so delighted to be part of a community where we count that as really important to train young people up in the word of God so that they can teach it to others is just such a blessing and I think a great example of how a community that takes the Bible seriously promotes it amongst its community. So thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, I'm just so delighted to be part of that. But these words that we hear can sometimes be quite familiar. The Bible is God's word. It's good and sufficient. But I think that as we consider it, we should do a little bit of definition work as well. Firstly, when we talk about the Bible as God's word, we are stating a fact that the Bible is God's revelation to us. It is His Word to us. This, after all, is how the Bible describes itself to us, that all Scripture is God-breathed, which means that as we open up the Bible, we are hearing the very Word of God being revealed to us. Second thing about the statement is that God's Word is good, and it means that as we hear it and as we have it read, we are having a good word read to us. It's good for us to understand this Bible because it shows us who God is, it shows us who we are, and it shows us how we are to live. And I think that there are many people across the ages who have discovered for themselves the goodness of God's word when they read it. And some of them have not always been Christians too. I remember when I was at school, I had a mate of mine who grew up all the way through school with me, wasn't a Christian at all, but he was always interested to hear what the Bible had to say because he was keen to hear more of these ideas, things like loving your neighbor as yourself and learning to be patient, learning how to restrain your temper. Ethical teaching that the Bible has for us have been recognized by many people across the ages as being good for us. Incidentally, that guy has since become a Christian too. Spend enough time in it, and it will not just only become a good word, but you will see that it is God's word for you. Thirdly, it is a sufficient word. When I say that, I mean it doesn't, I don't mean that it says everything that there is to know. There are questions, many questions that we may have about, about, 
all sorts of things that are not answered for us in the Bible. Things like what course I am to study at uni or what job I should take or who I should marry or whether my pets are in heaven. I, I don't know. The Bible's not doesn't address those questions. But it does say enough for what we need. When we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, we are saying that it accomplishes the aims for which it sets out. God's goal is to reveal himself to us so that we can trust him for salvation in Christ and learn how to live in a way which honors him. The Bible achieves that aim because it is the aim that God has set for it. So why do we need to promote the Bible in this way? Why do we need to promote the Bible in this way? Well, I think we live in a time, and David mentioned this earlier, where people, some, and sometimes in churches, uh, to their shame, have done away with each of those claims. Because we live in a time where people at times deny that the Bible is God's word and therefore lose the authority that it has over our life. If we deny the goodness of the Bible, we lose its relevance for our life. And if we deny its sufficiency, we lose its centrality in our life. And so it is important for us to promote the Bible as God's good and sufficient word. And I want to show you how this is done within the Bible itself by looking at this part of Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you know the Bible a little bit, you'll recognize it to be the longest chapter in the Bible. And fittingly, it is a song about how wonderful God's Word is. And if you're here tonight, and perhaps you're not a Christian, but you'd like to learn more about why Christians love the Bible so much, this is a great place to have a look at. So turn with me to Psalm 119, and there'll be a little outline in the newsletter, which you'd be more than welcome to follow along with. And in these verses, we hear why the psalmist loves God's Word so much. And I hope that you are moved as much as I've been as we spend this time together now looking at it. But why is he so interested in God's Word to begin with? Well, in the previous section, verse 89 through to 96, the psalmist talks about how he has made a decision. He has come to a decision to study the Word of God, to ponder the statutes of God. In verse 95, he even says that in the face of danger, suffering, you might say, hardship, difficulty, of which we know there is so much in life that we have to overcome too, in the face of all kinds of danger, he's made a decision, a firm decision, to ponder the statutes of God. Here we too can make a decision as well. As we look forward and see the way that our life may unfold, there will be many challenges that face us. We too will be faced with a decision. Where will we turn to for wisdom, for advice, for hope, for comfort? Make a decision to ponder the statutes of God just like the psalmist has done. See, he's revealed to us in verse 95 that he is keen to understand. But so what? So what of that decision? Well, in verse 97 onwards, we begin to see the results of that decision. God's word works. In verse 98, we're told it gives him wisdom. In verse 99, we're told it gives him insight. And in verse 100, we're told it gives him understanding. 
His decision to study the word of God has been a good one. It's made him wise. It simply worked. Now, I have to say, by way of illustration, I have uh, owned a few vacuum cleaners in my time, and my favourite household chore is, in fact, cleaning the carpet. I love it. It's my favourite chore. But I have had, even though I've had many vacuum cleaners over the years, there is none better than my current vacuum cleaner. It's powerful. It's got LED lights that light up the floor like shark's teeth on the ocean. But the reason I really love it is not that it looks good, it's that it works. It does its job better than any other vacuum cleaner that I've ever owned. The psalmist is telling us in these words that he loves God's word because it makes him wise. It's borne fruit in his life. It's made him wise in life and it's made him wise toward God. This is how he describes it in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Notice he doesn't like God's word. He doesn't endure God's word. He loves it. So much so that he thinks about it all the time. What do you think about all the time, dare I ask? Look what's on the psalmist's mind. It is God's word. He loves it and he thinks about it during the day, at work, at home, going to sleep at night, doing the chores around the house all the time. In my garden at home, I have some large zucchini plants growing at the moment and these zucchini plants have very large leafy leaves, big green leaves. And when I go out to check on my veggie garden, as I do very regularly, I notice that on top of these leaves are little yellow ladybugs. And they're always there and they love it. They cover it. The ladybugs love the leaves and they can't get enough of it. I've got no idea why they love it, but they do. But if we love God, we won't get enough of God's word. If we love God and we love his ways, we won't get tired of hearing from him or learning about him, will be like the ladybugs on the leaves of the pages of this book, always hungry for more, keen to learn more about God. If you spend enough time on the leaves of God's word, you will become wise. And this works because the God who wrote it is wise, and his wisdom is revealed to us in this word. I wonder, have you ever spent time with someone who you thought was really wise? Maybe it was a friend at school, maybe it was a parent, maybe a relative. It's good, isn't it, when you find someone who's really wise? They just seem to know how to make things work in life. Whether your car's broken down, they can fix it. Is there something wrong with um, something at home, they can repair it. Maybe they ran a business successfully and you've learned from them. Maybe they've worked out the stock market and investments and they're smart with the finances. When you meet someone who's wise, there's so much that you can learn. And the world is full of wise people. But do we think much about the wisdom that God has and that God wants to reveal to us? After all, God is the one who created the universe, invented mathematics. The Bible tells us that God is himself the very essence of love. That's all on God's resume. And God says that he made the world with all of the amazing things that we see out of the overflow of his wisdom. Out of wisdom, he made the world. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 says, By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. 
By understanding, he set the heavens in place. This verse reminds us that the order and the beauty and the goodness of the world is in accordance with the wisdom of God and reflects his wisdom. See, the world contains wisdom because its creator is wise. And so it makes sense for us to listen to God as the wise creator, the one who has made all of reality in the shape of his wisdom. And so the wise person seeks after God to learn how to be wise. And I should say that we're not talking simply here about learning to be earthly wise, to be wise with your money or wise with your um, relationships, but I'm also talking about learning to be spiritually wise, to be wise for salvation, because the Bible tells the story of God's love for us, of how we have fallen away from him through the way that we have acted, and yet he has shown grace to us. He has offered to forgive us, that he offers us a restored relationship with him. See, the wisdom that God wants to give us is not simply to put more initials after our name or to put certificates on our wall. He wants to invite us into a relationship with him that will last forever, the very thing that we were made for. God's wisdom really does go that far. And as we read the Bible and encounter God's wisdom, this is the story that we learn and a story that we can't get enough of. See, sometimes the world might seem pretty clever in their arguments that they make against God, but it will all prove to be foolishness in the end. The Bible says that when we come to God's word, we will have more wisdom than our enemies, wisdom for life, wisdom for salvation. Verse 99, it also says that as he studied God's word, he has learnt and he has had this should send uh, shivers down the, the spine of all the teachers in the room because he says that he has now more insight than all of his teachers. What he's saying is that when we have teachers who do not rely on God's word, we will always have more wisdom if we cling to the scriptures. And can I say, friends, nowhere is this more evident than in churches where the Bible has been done away with where there are teachers who have left the word of God behind and replaced it with the teaching of the world. Tracing over the lines of the evil one in their congregations to their shame and folly. But if we cling to God's word, we will have more insight than our teachers. Incidentally, I was at a church before and a guy came up to me and he said, he was, he was very wise, very wise. And, um, well, at least he thought he was, and I tended to agree with him. I think that he is. And he said that uh, occasionally, uh, when, he, when he came to church, he listened to a sermon that really wasn't capture, capturing, you know, capturing his attention or something like that. He was very quick to say it wasn't me, of course, which I was uh, no doubt you know, pleased to hear. But he said, you know what I do when I hear a sermon and I start to yawn? He said, I just pull out the book of James in the Bible and I just read the book of James. And I thought, you know what? That's pretty wise, actually. That's pretty wise. You can't go wrong with the word of God. Stick with the God's word and you'll have more insight than your teachers. Verse 100, you'll also have more understanding than your elders. Here, the man is making a comparison. He's saying it isn't age that makes you wise. It is the willingness to trust God at his word which shows us that even the youngest ones amongst us who love God's word are considered wiser than those who are older 
without it. And I think that this is something that we need to take into account as well. Uh, Friends, we don't need to look down on the little ones who simply say they love Jesus and they love his words. There is a great innocence to that kind of honest faith that God loves and reveals truth. It truly is wise to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This is not naivete. This is the wisdom on display. And I say there is more wisdom in that simple acceptance than in all the words of the atheist professors, the wily politicians, the street smart shopkeepers who live without the word of God. Perhaps it's because the young have not had so much time as we have to be corrupted by the world. If so, the challenge then again is once upon us. What does our closeness to God's word or our distance to God's word say about us? See, these words, even these opening verses, 97, 98 to 100, are a reminder to us to flock to God's word to stick to God's word like like ladybugs on the leaves of Scripture. And have you ever kind of had that feeling of um, anxiousness when you don't know where your phone is? You ever kind of had that feeling? I reckon I've I think over the past few years I've kind of got this sixth sense for knowing where my phone is at all times. I don't know if that's true of you or whether this is just me, but I struck me how how attached we have become to our phones to the point where we can feel a, a kind of sense of anxiety when we don't have it with us or even worse when the when there's no wi-fi right there's a terrible feeling of having no access and i think that we have kind of bought into this feeling that the thing that we need most of all in our life is this kind of communication device that will keep us in touch with everyone and everything around us at all times to the point when we don't have it, we can feel anxious. I think it's a feeling that most of us can kind of have some kind of understanding of experiencing. But it makes me wonder, what happens if we actually changed as a community, as a congregation of God's people? What if we had our heart's affections so fixed on God's word that we became slightly anxious when we didn't have God's word around us? When we were just like, when we become so hungry for God's word that when we go without it for a day or two days or a week, we feel empty. I think that would be the kind of thing that would be a great thing to cultivate amongst us, to be so in tune with the Word of God that when we don't have it, we feel it, we truly feel it inside us. Well, we'll only get that if we stay close to God's Word. Secondly, living the Bible. Having described just how much he loves God's Word, he now turns to talk about how he puts it into practice. Verse 101 through to 104. And you can see this in verse 100 and 101 with the word obey. He's gone from thinking about God's Word and talking about how wonderful it is and giving him wisdom to now describing how he puts it into practice. And it's such a satisfying thing, isn't it, when you see wisdom put into practice. I mean, I don't know if, you've, if you're a theory person or a practical person, but I've always been a fan of the practical. Seeing things happen in real life is way more exciting than just learning about it on paper. 
sometimes this happens at school, right? You go into school and you do science and you learn the theory and then finally they let you loose on the Bunsen burners. That's so much more exciting. To see these ideas work their way out into real life is what we do it for. Wisdom at work is satisfying. Putting learning and wisdom into practice is what we are designed to do. And this is what God wants for us with his word as well. Learning God's word is not simply a theoretical exercise for us. It's not a mind game that we play. It is something that is supposed to overflow into practice in our life. And this is what the psalmist has understood. That learning about the Bible means putting it into practice because what it means is that we're able to live well with one another and with God. And now the writer talks about how God's wisdom has changed his direction in life. From obeying God's word, it means, verse 101, that he now has kept his feet from every evil path. This guy knows that there is an evil path to follow in life and that there is a good path to follow in life. And he knows that if it was just up to him, he'd be going down the evil path just like everyone else. That's what he would do by nature. But God's word has taught him different. It showed him a new way to live, a better way to live, and his feet have been kept from that evil path because of the word of God and his decision to obey it. I mean, how many of us have kind of had the experience of seeing friends at school doing something dumb, doing something foolish, getting themselves in trouble, and you've seen it and you thought to yourself, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to go down that path. God's word has taught me not to do that. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to lie. I know that's a wrong path. God has showed me a better way. See, if we keep loving the Bible and living the Bible, you will find that it becomes the resource, the food that you need to make better decisions in your life. And if you do, I hope that you get to experience what's being described in verse 103. I really do. I hope it for each one of you here tonight. Verse 103. So he's got to a point where he's able to say this. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. See, for him, he's so he's thought about God's word, he's put it into practice in his life, and now he's talking about how wonderful it is to have it there. It's become sweet to him. He's seen the benefit of it. It makes him happy. See, we've seen what happens when people go down the wrong path. It looks good at first, but in the end, it leaves a bitter taste. It's empty. And some of us have spent moments in our life where we've gone down that wrong path. Some of us have spent seasons of our life going down that wrong path and we felt the effects of it. We know actually in practice that our wisdom is nothing compared to God's wisdom. And what we really need to do is to stop following the wisdom of the world. We need someone to follow. We need a leader. We want to learn from the creator. We need to understand God better. And so we go back to God's word and it reveals to us a better way. And we follow it. And we find the peace and the comfort and the happiness that we were always looking for. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. See, once you get stuck into God's word, you know, and you start putting it into practice in your life, chances are you're going to want more of it and you're going to want more of it quickly. I have to say sometimes, by way of illustration, I, um, uh, I admit that I get, I, get chocolate, I get a block of chocolate out at night. And I, I tell myself, one serving only, because that's what it says on the packet, doesn't it? You know, one serving of chocolate is like the two little pieces. How does, I don't know who came up with that. 
I'd like to know how they thought that. And I don't, I don't know if anyone ever does that. You know, does anyone open the block of chocolate and think, yeah, I'm going to do the one serving. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. I, I, that's not me. I'll be honest. That's not me. I, I eat it. And you know what? I like it. I like eating it. And I discover that I want more of it. And so pretty soon it's all, it's all gone. And um, if I'm feeling particularly generous, I'll leave one or two pieces left simply to make my conscience feel a bit better about not eating the whole thing. But that's what God's word is to the person who loves it. When we, we love it, we can't get enough of it. We've seen the effects. We've seen that we've, our thoughts have been changed and we want to live by it. It's Moorish to come to God's word. You know, as I was thinking about this a little bit more during the week, church, it made me think about the parable of the prodigal son, one of my favorite uh, parables. In the story, the, the parable of the prodigal son, there's the son in the family. You know the story. And uh, he, he's raised in a good family. He enjoys many good things. But then he decides that he's had enough. He wants new experiences. And so he leaves the family home. He takes the inheritance from his father and he goes to the far country and he spends it all. He ruins himself. He goes the way of the world. He, he thinks that it has more to offer. But in the end, it is bitter and empty. We find him during the story, eventually eating with the pigs. Doesn't satisfy. The world does not satisfy. That's the world. Then what does he do? Well, he comes to his senses, doesn't he? And he goes back home to his dad, who puts on a feast for him. That's God. What do you get with the world? We get to eat with the pigs in the end. What do you get with God? You get the banquet and you get the feast. God has more than enough to satisfy our desires and make us whole. His wisdom is what we need. Uh, maybe that's simply the reminder that you need this evening. You know, maybe you, you've been, if you're being honest with yourself and before the Lord, maybe being honest with yourself, Lord, you, you, will, you admit that you know, you've been drinking too long from that poisoned well of the world. Too much, just too much. You know, maybe you've been dragged along with others. It can happen, I know. But you know, you're willing to admit it. That's actually not the way I want to go. I need a better way. I've had enough of the pig stuff. I feel a little soul sick. I need better nourishment than that. I need to find a better way to govern my life. I need guidance. I need leadership. I need instruction. If that's you, I want to say, come back to God's word tonight. Come back to God's word. Dine with God in his wisdom for life, for salvation. Get the banquet. See, friends, this is why we want to promote the Bible as God's good and sufficient word for us today. It is good for us, good for our body. It's good for our soul. So how are we going to do this together? I just want to offer three suggestions as I close, um, how we might promote it. Uh, firstly, I think we need to model it. See, if we're going to talk about God's word being good and sufficient and all these kinds of things, the way we promote it is to model it to others. We need to be good role models when it comes to loving and living God's Word in practice. And one way to do this is to be consistent in reading God's Word. You know, I, I know that sometimes it can feel a bit scary for us to think, you know what, I'm going to start now and I'm going to read the Bible in two days, two weeks, two months, one year. You know, you think, whoa, it's huge. How am I going to do that? Say, start small, dream big. Don't let the side, don't, don't, let the, don't be too intimidated not to give it a chance. Give it a go. You might want to start with just the Gospels and the New Testament as a way of getting into God's Word. You might go to the Psalms and read through the Psalms. There's plenty of different ways of reading God's Word and it's okay to take your time. 
One way you show the world and you show and you prove it to yourself that you love God's word is simply by getting into it, diving into it for yourself. Uh, You also might want to uh, literally carry your Bible. I know, remember how I talked about that anxiety of not having our phone close to us and we're like, where is it? It's somewhere there. I know where it is. I need to have it with me and all that kind of stuff. I, I think it'd be awesome if we had a group of people who loved God's word so much that we actually carried it with us. Now, I know what you're thinking. Robin always talks about this. It's true, I do. (laughs) I always talk about this because it's so important. It's such a great demonstration of our trust in God to have God's Word close to us, to carry it with us, to read it in public. I mean, if you think this is the Word of life and if you think this is the Word of wisdom that you need for your day-to-day life, why wouldn't you have it close to hand? And yet so many of us, we bring our Bible to church and it stays closed during the week. Friends, this should not be. This should not be. Keep your Bible close and continue to learn from it. Do you have a routine for reading the Bible during the week? You might like to make one. Secondly, uh, honour it. Since the Bible is God's Word, I think that it's appropriate for us to attach a kind of reverence toward God's Word It's truly amazing to me and to my mind that when we hear the Bible read in church, we are hearing from God himself. Isn't that amazing? I I have to say, the Bible readers at church on Sunday have the most tremendous responsibility and privilege because they get to come up in front of a congregation, open up the Bible and read the word of God, the word of the creator, the eternal creator. The words flow to the congregation. What a privilege. What a responsibility. We've got to keep practicing it, don't we? Let's do it properly. Let's treat it with great respect. That's why we added the words again after the reading. This is the word of the Lord to remind us of what it is that we're actually doing when we're having God's word read. I think we need to honor God's word, give it the kind of reverence that it needs. I heard a story this week. You could look it up sometime if you want to. It's there. It's all over the internet about a, a, a minister in America who, um, who was up the front preaching in a sermon and they grabbed their Bible and I, I can't even mime it to you, so I won't. I'm not going to. I'm going to pretend I'm holding a Bible. Is that, 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 we can mime it that way. And they got a Bible in the middle of their sermon and they punted it, kicked it into the congregation. Isn't that unbelievable. I believe it's because their sermon was Super Bowl themed, I think. And so they needed to kick the Bible into the congregation. If you'll excuse the pun, that's got to have crossed the line, doesn't it? That's got to have crossed the line. Now, that's not going to convey the kind of respect or reverence towards God's word that we ought to have. We need to honor the Bible because it is God's word. And I think there is a way physically for us to show reverence toward the word of God. Lastly, we need to apply it. I know you know this. I know you know this. We promote the Bible if we apply it in our lives. It does God no honor and us no benefit if we read it and it goes in one ear and out the other. 
If it goes into our mind and doesn't go into our lives, we do not honor the Lord. We do not benefit from its wisdom. It reminds me of what James said in the New Testament. Remember how I said that James is a good book to read? If the sermon is not that interesting, it is good. Listen to what it says, right? My mate always, had to go, always got to read these words. In James, um, he writes, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Friends, don't miss out on the blessing that God has in store for you when you put into practice the words of his word. As a follow-up, as a follow-up to um, how we might put this into practice again, you might say, well, uh, uh, I remember someone, someone suggested this to me a long time ago. And they said, what you can do to kind of he- keep remembering God's word and to try to put it into practice in your life is early, on a, early in the week, um, on a Monday morning or a Tuesday, uh, you can set aside some time to recall what it is that you learnt from the Bible in church on Sunday. And you can think about how you might want to put that into practice. You might take your newsletters home and think about it in a couple of days. That is a way of reinforcing it and thinking about how it makes a difference to to school or to work or at home. Another way of applying it um, could be in the way in which you choose to give advice to people. Uh, I reckon a lot of us find ourselves in situations where we are called to give advice to people that we love, sometimes friends at school or sometimes our children at home. And often the wisdom that we give is really good. It's really good advice, really good wisdom. But often we don't give God the credit for it. We don't give God the credit for the wisdom that we have learned. And so I think that we could honor God and apply God's word when we actually share with people how where the wisdom that we receive has come from. So when we tell people how to forgive or when we encourage people to pray, we can remind people that it is God's word that actually instructs us to do this. I think one example that's strong in my mind is if, you, if someone is worried about something, you know, they, they, they come to you concerned about something, an issue going on in their life, and uh, you listen to them, of course, you listen to them, and then you can remind them, well, let's pray about it. God always says that he wants to hear from us, and he tells us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. See, we can be really obvious in our advice and encouragement to each other and promote God's word at the same time by making it clear that the wisdom that we have comes from God. God's word, church, is good, and it's sufficient. So let's love it live it and promote it. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you might continue to bless us as we come before you as your people. We pray that you might make your word sweeter than honey to our souls. We pray that you might give us peace and knowledge and wisdom, freedom, happiness and joy as we spend time in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.